The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Data Reaper podcast. It is early in the morning, Friday, May 21st. Uh, I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined as always by the safety inspector, Inspector Zacho. How you doing, Hat? Doing all right. How you doing now that people are cutting their one mana one threes? Uh, I'm doing well. Have you been uh, shuffling uh, bad secrets back into your deck with dire moles? Oh, that's very good because th- that was a trick question. It sounded like I was expecting a yes, but I needed a no from you, Hat. Uh, Mr. Poison Rogue player. By the way, listeners, do you know that Hat started playing Poison Rogue? Okay, I switched to Miracle because because I tanked my rank bad enough to start facing Libram Paladins, and so I'm just like, all right, let's just play the good deck. So I just started playing Miracle Rogue, and I'm back in top 500 now, so like it's okay. Very good, very good. This is another reason why Libram Paladin is a healthy meta development, because it beats down those damn Poison Rogues. Very nice. We'll take it. So before uh, we get into the report... Yeah. We just want to let you all know uh, everything is on normal schedule again, so you should see the next report next Thursday the 27th, next podcast Saturday the 29th, should be as usual, uh, you know, follow us on Twitter and Discord to keep up, but should be on a normal schedule, and uh, this is the first real, like, fully data-driven uh, podcast we have with an accompanying report after 20.2.2, and Paladin's still on top, but it is not the same Paladin deck at all. Nope, the class is completely different uh, from before. It's still very strong, um, but the way that Paladin plays the game is is very different from what it did before. No more Crab Rider early blowouts. Uh, the early game is weaker with first day of school uh, being reworked to become more of a value card. A lot of uh, people criticize that change, saying, oh, this is, doesn't matter, whatever. They're memeing about it. But that change was big because it prevents uh, paladins from consistency, uh, from consistently hitting uh, their hand of a dawn too. Um, first day of school was a big component of that, and now it's far less reliable uh, at enabling the early snowballing. So paladin is now looking more to the late game, and ironically, uh, one of the buffs ended up being very helpful to Paladin, uh, which is the Nazoth buff. So we talked a lot about buffing the old gods. They ended up buffing Nazoth, uh, which was the weakest old god in the in the old god that players were least interested in playing. And they simply discounted it by one mana. And suddenly this card is in top tier decks. It performs very well. Like one mana can make the whole, uh, the whole difference. And uh, you see uh, suddenly uh, a different meta with stronger late game options was just by adding Nizoth. So, well, adding Nizoth and taking away Edwin Van Crab. Yeah, yeah, that is also true. Uh, there is no incentive to just developing your deck around uh, the Crab Rider early turns. So, I think Paladin is now weaker in the early game. Uh, it doesn't rely on those blowouts as much as it did before. Sometimes it can curve out and pressure very well and conviction on five and kill you. But most times, they're going to develop a, a 
a, a different game plan where they grind you to dust with just stats and value and pressure uh, through the board. And I think that's a healthier game plan. Uh, I think it's a game plan that you're you're able to prepare for better. And even though it's very powerful, it does have some weaknesses. So let's talk about Paladin, like a quick view at what's happening. You've got Lib and Paladin was a completely fringe Paladin deck before the patch. Now it's the nuts. It's the best deck in the game. Um, it wasn't affected by the Crab Rider change. Instead, it, it benefited from the change because... Part of the reason why Libin Paladin was kind of worse than the aggressive Paladin decks is because it didn't have an answer to a Crab Rider on two. Like, if you're playing a Paladin Mirror between, like, Agor's Secret versus Libin Paladin, they play Crab Rider on two. Paladin has no way to, to ever clear that. So Hand of a Doll starts snowballing. That becomes a difficult line of play for the Libin Paladin to handle. Now that's gone. So Libin Paladin has much better matchups into the faster Paladin decks. And then late game, nothing nothing changed. And first day of school is is a very good card in that deck uh, still, especially because it's not as focused on the early game snowballing. Uh, it was always a late game strategy that was about uh, outpacing and uh, healing through old, like negating burn and while pressuring the opponent. Uh, with the Libims. So that seems to work very well. And now Libim Paladin is running double um, Libim of Judgment. And that is a very good game plan in a lot of matchups. Um, it helps you um, kill mages. It helps you have much better uh, chance against priests by pressuring them. Uh, when obviously when you corrupt it, it makes it impossible for opponents to burn you down. Uh, so it's a very, you know, well-designed, fleshed-out plan that uh, I think is one of the healthiest designs they've ever made, the Libin package. Uh, yeah, it's very powerful right now alongside the Secret package, but I'm hoping that, you know, other classes will be able, with new cards, be able to compete with this kind of um, package because I don't think this package needs to be nerfed. Yeah, Librum of Hope is probably one of the best cards in the format right now, but I think that's more of an indication of what other classes are dealing with rather than what Paladin is dealing with. Um, the goal is to make every class feel as complete as Paladin, it is not to take away from one of the few classes that really feels like it has a lot of options. Yeah, I think at this point, uh, they've pretty much um, removed the, you know, non-game elements of Paladin. The things that decreased uh, player agency, uh, where you felt hopeless. They kind of removed those elements. Uh, Sword of the Fallen is a strong card, but now, after the balance changes, the first balance changes, it's more reasonable. Uh, rather than being this completely disruptive, ridiculous card with three charges that just it was way too much. Now it's strong, but I think it's at a decent spot where it's worth building around, but not entirely oppressive and just game-winning by itself. And then you have the Librams, which, uh, as I said, very well-designed package of cards that's very flavorful and pretty much saved Paladin from, you know, people forget how Paladin was. Paladin was pretty much Shaman before Librams were introduced. 
because it had no direction. It was kind of, uh, you know, stretched out through tribal things again. You remember I was, uh, I was talking about it in the podcast last week about Shaman's current issues? Yeah, there was some there was some meat in the bone with the pure paladin cards. Like we had a little bit there, but that was a relatively recent innovation as well, just towards uh, Descent of Dragons, where they were trying that out. Yeah, uh, you had, but the pure paladin back in Descent of Dragons was a joke. That class yeah. was not relevant at all. Uh, back then, it it started to gain relevance in Ashes of Outland, but only after you know, obviously, Demon Hunter nerves. And uh, Aldor Attendant was a two mana two three. They buffed that. They nudged that. They nudged Librem of Justice from six mana to five. So um, it was a little bit underpowered on release, and, and Team Five realized that they could have uh, they could push it a little bit more. And now we're we're and, and since then, uh, since I think Skullmancer, especially once Skullmancer arrived and uh, Lib- Librem Paladin started to gain traction later in that expansion. Then uh, the package took off, and obviously this package uh, did uh, did not rotate out. Uh, there's still a year left of it, and it allows Paladin gives them the flexibility to to produce, um, you know, to create all sorts of strategies um, around a solid core. So, uh, and the deck is changing, right? It was before it was about Salhad's pride and and and. Double penflinger, double broom kind of thing where you burn down your opponent with penflingers. And now it's a different deck, more secrets uh, oriented. Penflingers is not even important anymore. Well, they did nerf it. It used to kill them. Yeah, they did. Yes, they. it was nerfed, rightfully so. And now the deck is it plays out differently. We don't even play Barov or Broom anymore. That old Librem Paladin felt like an attrition deck. And now it's we're kind of just the ultimate mid range deck. Uh, I think it's it's a it's still more of a control deck than anything else. Uh, it's not really aggressive in its nature. Um, its path to aggression uh, is mostly about a little bit of judgment, and that comes uh pretty uh, very much later in the game. It's it's mostly a defensive shell, but it's it's a defensive shell that has. Tempo options, right? Tempo swings uh, through Libum of Justice, through Libum of Hope. Uh, you you defend yourself while developing. Uh, so I think it's a it's a pretty successful uh, flavor and archetype in terms of design and hitting the right marks. And honestly, Libum of Paladin, even though it's very powerful, it never feels like it's unfair. I don't think the deck feels unfair to play against and and. You can kind of expect what it can play, and it doesn't, uh, you know, generate things out of its ass, right? <laughs> it, you have, you've got Liadrin, which generates cards that it already put in the deck, and just being able to reload and replay them. But it's not like it just wins out of nowhere, like you never saw it coming. Something crazy happens, and you were winning, and suddenly you you lose the game. Urban Paladin is a deck that plays uh, alongside very um, fair. Uh, it, it's about margins. minion combat and buffs. Yeah, and and making making junky boys and hitting you with them. I will say there have been a few times where it's turn six, and they died to double conviction, and you know that's a lot of damage. Wait, they don't run conviction. Large majority of living paladin builds do not run conviction. Yeah, it's paladin in general. Liberum paladins do not generally run conviction. 
yeah, but yeah, when it comes to other like like secret paladin, yeah, um, sometimes they curve out still and can can just kill you with conviction on five when things go well. But I, I think uh, secret paladin is a lot slower. So let's look at secret paladin. You've got the pre patch iteration where you know you can adjust a couple of cards. The deck plays out similarly, loses the blowout turns, but um, since you know there's something when a deck gets nerfed we talked about it last week uh then people are more inclined to run a decks that lose to it and then the field becomes more favorable so even though its power in a vacuum is lower uh the fact that the field becomes more favorable makes up for it and the deck maintains a high win rate this is what you see with a secret paladin but the more important development is that there's a new nazoth variant that's really gaining traction, tire levels of play and such. Um, that looks very, very promising. And it performs extremely well, even though it has one of the worst and funniest card choices I've ever seen, ever. I have okay. never seen a, a funnier um, inclusion of cards, <laughs> a package of cards that is so clearly wrong. You don't even need data for it. You just need some intuition and was in completely net decked by every GM who brought it this week. They all brought this thing where you run Hand of a Doll, right? So so here's the thing about the Nazoth build of Secret Palette. You don't run Blessing of Authority, right? You're, you, you run Carousel Griffin with the Hammer of the Narrow and now... People are going to start running Skystalkers as well to corrupt. So it's a very beefy deck that runs minions with pure stats uh, more so than buffs. So holy spells, you don't run much of them. You have Hand of a Dull. And what happened is that the creator of the build, uh, whoever uh, propagated that list, decided that, you know, since we're running a beefy deck, we don't need buffs, so we don't need conviction because we're not hitting the opponent in the face with conviction, with buffs, we're putting stats on the board. And Hand of a Doll is the only holy spell, and the other holy spell that's included in the deck is Reckoning. So you run six secrets, and you run Hand of a Doll with Reckoning. So what happens is Knight of Anointment either draws you Hand of a Doll or it draws you patches. Half the time, it draws you patches. Reckoning is patches, which is absurd. And then, since we have six secrets, and we also have a card that draws us secrets, then the thinking was, okay, so we're drawing too many secrets, and secrets are patches, because we want to pull them off of Sword of the Fallen and not draw them. Then we're running Safety Inspector to shuffle the secret back and replace them with a playable card. You you take the secret out, you put the secret back? Yes, yeah. yeah. So we play Knight of Anointment, we play Knight of Anointment, it draws us Reckoning, we're upset, but we have Safety Inspector to shove that Reckoning, turn it into actual go- good card. So we need to draw two, two specific cards in order to draw a card that we actually want. And we're doing all of this just to avoid playing a one-mana Leroy Jenkins. Hello, guys? Excuse me? Excuse me? Really? 11 GMs brought this deck and they all net deck this thing? One mana Leroy Jenkins not good enough? I mean, okay. 
We have Hand of a Doll. It's a good holy spell. Conviction is a hell of a holy spell. Just run Hand of a Doll and run Conviction and run Knight of Anointment. And Knight of Anointment becomes insane because it either draws you a card that curves out on two. And it's a card that draws another card, which helps the decks like maintain hand size and such. Or it draws you the card that kills your opponent. Like, that's nuts. And Knight of Anointment, when you run Reckoning with Hand of a Doll, is a mediocre card. It's not a good card in that deck if you run bad cards to draw, like, that get pulled by Knight. If the card is bad, if you're drawing patches half the time, how is it going to be good? So that's the message. So what we do in the list that we have in the report is we swap Safety Inspector for Righteous Protector because Righteous Protector has consistently been a good card in these kind of Paladin decks since the launch of this expansion. And it's also very good with Conviction. It's a sticky card. Helps you stick either... You either have Protector stuck on the board or it protects your other cards so you can land Conviction more easily on five. And you make that adjustment. And then another adjustment is to... Uh, you know, people are running uh, Venomous Scorpid. It's not really important because Nazoth can resurrect the 3-4 taunt that you get off of Galloping Saver. You run double Galloping and double Omayog. That's the secret package, the ideal one in the current meta. You don't need to worry since the deck is slower, much like Living Paladin. You don't need to worry about the second, like, getting full value off of both Sword of the Fallen because you have high threat density and drawing a secret before a, a sword and not getting full value out of sword is not as important um, in, in these kind of decks. So you run double galloping. Galloping is not a holy spell. You can't draw it off of night. It's a very good card against rogue. This build specifically uh, has trouble against rogue uh, and galloping saver will significantly help you in that matchup. It's so good. It's basically one mana rat trap. Um, it's easy to, it's also very good against priests. A lot of people are obsessed with reckoning because of Samoro interaction where it stops Samoro, but very often priest wants to play three cards a turn in order to be able to remove your stuff. And galloping server is almost like a Nerubian egg ask card where it gives you some insurance to keeping up, maintaining a board, uh, and having things to, to buff with conviction. It's also just a pain in the ass to play around. Like, yeah, it's like it either limits them, it either limits them, or it's kind of a insurance for a board clear. Um, yeah. So, so it's it's just very good, and and you're gonna feel it, especially in the rogue matchup, but in other matchups as well, with galloping. And also, if galloping saver, um, you know, stays up, then your Northwatch commander can draw very consistently, even though you have four secrets. Uh, it helps commander, um, uh, significantly so. Reckoning in faster matchups is going to get activated, and then your North Watch is a spider tank. And aggressive decks, like, it's surprisingly good against aggressive decks as well, uh, Galloping Saver, because if they develop too much, right, they have a lot of cheap spells, cheap cards that they want to flood the board, then Saver kind of stops them. Just a very good card. Clearly the second best secret after Oh My Yog. It's not even close. And, yeah, you just don't want to draw... You just don't want to make your knight worse. Knight is insane when you run a double hand of a doll and double conviction. Now, the other adjustment, you know, the original build. So, Scorpid is not important. 
So we cut that. We can run two dragon tamers. And the other adjustment is running more dragons. Um, original build had Ysera and Alexstrasza. The problem is Ysera is really expensive. Um, and what we notice is that Carousel Griffin is a really good card, but you really want to corrupt it consistently. If you don't draw Hammer of the Narrow, then you have a problem. So we started seeing uh, Dragon Maw Skystalkers. And that card seemed serviceable enough to be included. You, you draw off of Dragon Tamer. Be careful not to be baited into like overkeeping uh, Dragon Tamer. It's not an important card in the mulligan because it draws you a card you can only use on turn 6. The point is, at some point, you're going to draw a dragon, or you're going to draw a dragon tamer. You're going to be able to consistently corrupt your carousel griffin on six and play it on, on seven. So that's the, the purpose of it. Um, right now, there's a discussion about uh, animated broomstick. We didn't have enough data for this week uh, evaluating animated broomstick. It's very possibly good. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had a discussion with Nails on the Vicious Syndicate Discord. Uh, he's a streamer. Go check him out. He, he played uh, uh, a novel list, a new list that we iterated off of the reports list where we add animated broomsticks by cutting one Skystalker and one Dragon Tamer. So we can fit in two brooms alongside the Double Conviction. He hit number, uh, had a very good win rate and hit number four Lundgren with it. Uh, we're probably going to have data on broom uh, next week. My inclination is that it's probably good. I just couldn't see it in the data this week because it wasn't popular enough. And Broomstick does help the deck because you get... Uh, the deck lacks comeback mechanics, right? It puts stats on the board. And uh, if it falls behind, then it can it can struggle. And giving Rush to like a, a corrupted carousel, Griffin can really swing the game. Uh, as well as obviously after an Azoth on turn 10. So that doesn't happen as often. Um, so yeah, this deck is very promising. Um, you have a lot of value, so you can your matchup against Priest is pretty good because you're you're putting a lot of pressure on them. Uh, obviously, other slow matchups as well, you do pretty well. But this deck, since this deck is very heavy, then you know the matchup against Gibbling Druid is entirely completely different. You're unfavored against them. The Hunter matchup becomes difficult. Uh, the Rogue matchup, Miracle Rogue, can outpace you. Can definitely get ahead on the board and and deny you from conviction buffs and such because you're very slow um, with this build. So there are weaknesses to this deck, but this deck is very very powerful still. Uh, but it just it's not the secret paladin from before the patch where it just you know feels like it beats everything and. Kind of unstoppable, uh, or nearly unstoppable, on ladder at least. Paladin is still a fairly complete class in a low-powered meta with a couple options, and the options are good. Secret Paladin, uh, as of right now, feels like a deck that's the deck to play if you want to keep your opponent off balance in the early and mid game. And I do like the direction the Zoth build is going in. It doesn't have the recovery power of Librum. Uh, but instead it has uh, just a lot of really strong threats, and uh, it kind of keeps perpetual pressure as opposed to being able to recover from yours. So just depends It's if you prefer a more proactive approach or not. Yeah, and then this build with this Nazoth build also puts more pressure on Libin Paladin. Um, yeah. The, the Nazoth build is actually uh, favored against Libin Paladin because uh, 
They just you have so have much stuff. Clears. Yeah, there's yeah. so much stuff. So it's it's very good against decks that try to clean up your board um, with uh, removal and their own swings. And they don't like they're not if they're not lightning fast. Like if, if they can't outpace you like a miracle rogue with plunderers and such, then you know things can can get hairy because you know you don't need much. And the, the crazy thing is the deck performs so well without Conviction, and I strongly suspect that Conviction just puts this deck over the top. Like, how are we not running Conviction, really? Uh, like, we're running big threats, so yeah. So it's hard to kill them, and then we land Conviction, and we kill our opponent. There's, there's very little downside to running Conviction, even in that deck, even if that deck is heavy, as people say. But, yeah. Uh, Agro Paladin though is pretty much gone. Uh, it's not like it's terrible, but it's just Crab Rider nerf. It was very reliant on Crab Rider, and now that it doesn't have that early blowout potential, as well as the Crab Rider mid game is weaker um, too. So it just it's just gonna be gone. So Paladin's completely different now. It's no longer hyper aggressive. It's more about you either play Librams or you play this Nazoth build. I expect that the Nazoth build will take over the the secret Paladin archetype um, over the next week or two. So it, it's pretty much the deck to go with, considering it already performs better than the pre-patch iteration when it runs Safety Inspector and Double Reckoning. That build is still better than the you know, the Divine Secret Paladin. So if that's better, what happens if we actually fix that deck? It's probably going to be the nuts compared to uh, the old Secret Paladin. And maybe Broom. Um, my impression is that Broom is probably good in that deck because it gives you comeback mechanics. Um, but, you know, we'll only have next week to confirm it. I can do it this week. It's still early on, right? And And it's hard to remember sometimes that how recently this patch was done it was uh eight days ago or so still like eight and a half days still pretty yeah, recent. It's still pretty new and we're probably not going to have too much of this meta because you know next week is probably going to be not but the week after uh we anticipate possibly the mini set so uh yeah we're gonna have a bit of uh fun uh checking out how this meta develops and then before we we know it. Uh, new cards will arrive, so that's pretty cool. I think that the balance changes did enough to set up the mini set um, for success when it comes to, you know, again, not we nudged the things that were kind of felt bad and had uh, play pattern issues in Paladin, and now it's kind of a fair class that plays. It's powerful, right? It's obviously powerful, but it plays in a more fair. A streamlined manner and there is more agency in playing against it so that's the good part it's just very powerful i think it's mostly because of rotation uh it just had a really good year phoenix uh, sets we knew that it was already uh, established for success it got a few very strong baron's cards on top of it and that puts it at a really good position compared to other classes but with more sets you know, they're going to design around uh, when it comes to new Paladin cards, they're probably going to support new stuff, different stuff, you know, 
um, different avenues from what you currently see. They're not going to make them more powerful, while other classes will probably get more attention with their current archetypes that are failing or lagging behind. So I, I think we're we're in a pretty decent spot, and there was like this big sentiment on Reddit and social media and such after the balance changes that nothing's changed and it's the same. Well, people and only had an hour to come up with their hot takes, you know. And yeah, uh, it's just the same, and, and it was completely unnecessary. And like Team Five were criticized for the patch. Why did you make these buffs? These buffs weren't good enough. They didn't make an impact. The nerves didn't weren't enough, and such. You know, and Mage too. Like, oh man, the Mage rhetoric that first week was unbearable, and what, I was am, insane. I am so looking forward to getting to this section in the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, this is the. It's a great example why data is important and why publicly available data is uh, can be so uh, such a healthy addition to a metagame and to community perception because it can just you know stop complaints where they there's there's no merit like i'm watching i'm looking at twitter and i'm seeing like alec dawson needs to explain himself why they made these balance changes people complain so much because he used the word spicy because he used yeah, yeah, one word. Like, and there is spice. This is it. This report that you look at, you see the spice. There is there is new stuff that's either viable or on the cusp of being viable. And you can identify it in the data. And you see that there is merit. There was merit to making these changes. So I, I, like, I think that like the reaction was so quick and unnecessary. And all you need to do was wait just a little bit for things to develop. Like when 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 you when it comes to a patch, it's a patch. It's not a new expansion. You can't expect like ten new archetypes to suddenly pop up, right? You're just making some tweaks. Like and when it comes to impact and changes, things change. Like the top class, yeah, it's still top, but it's completely different now. So really, like uh, my tip to you guys is to. Be patient when it comes to balance changes. A lot of times, people don't know, have a clue what they're doing after a patch. You play against a lot of mages still, and you still lose to Encantus Flow, and the reaction is, oh, this still the same deck. <laughs> and a week later, you notice something different has happened. So that's when it comes to Paladin, entirely different deck, uh, class, very much so. Yeah, it's still strong. Got good cards, so it's strong. We have a four-set meta. Other classes will get help. Don't you worry said it. about it. You said it. I didn't. Yep. Yep. I, I said it. I allow it. For this report, for this uh, podcast. For this yeah. expansion. It's a thing yeah. that we're noticing over and over again. We really have to acknowledge that this is very much a meta. It's the smallest standard we've seen in a long time, if not ever. And we have to make sure we acknowledge that. And some classes are going to have more options and some classes won't. That's just how it is. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at the let's look at rogue. So rogue is like a really good example of what happens when you have a class that was perceived to be powerful enough and very competitive before the balance changes. It the only nerf it got is the mancrick nerf. It's a very small nerf. Uh, so the perception is that it wasn't impacted by balance changes. So immediately, you know, high level players they want a safe deck to play something that they know is good. And Miracle Rogue becomes that deck. Um, 
So you see, like, Rogue is not very popular at low ranks. And then it just completely spikes at top legend high levels of play. Lots of people are enjoying Miracle Rogue. And there is merit to that. It did get better. I did hint to it in the podcast last week. But it's not like Miracle Rogue is dominant or, like, you know, beating everything because it was left unchecked or something. Um, but the thing is, Miracle Rogue, like, you know, we 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 meme a lot about high skill cap. But if you're wondering, if you're curious, what are the three uh, decks in the current meta that exhibit the highest skill cap? And when I say that, I mean the highest learning curve and the biggest discrepancy in matchups uh, between different rank brackets. So there are three decks that stand out, maybe four, but the um, the fourth one, like Miracle Priest, is kind of weak anyway. Kind of not even a deck. Though it does. It's, if if you were Zan or Dead Draw, it's a deck. Or Gabby. yeah, like, but if you if you're if you're Zan or Dead Draw, then any deck is a deck. That's the yes. that's the thing. But if I'm looking at prominent decks in the meta, then you look at um, Lifesteal Demon Hunter. Uh, Control Priest and Miracle Rogue. Those are the top three, I would say, from the you know competitive uh, range of decks that exhibit the most significant improvements in in multiple matchups. Uh, so their skill cap is gargantuan compared to other decks. Now, when I say this, like it's all comparable. I'm talking about this meta. This meta isn't like it's not Skullman's. I would say when it comes like uh, the irony is that the Skullman's meta had more of those decks. But when it comes to like judging just by comparison with the rest of the field and those decks uh, displayed the most significant improvement. So the thing is, Miracle Rogue has this learning curve and significant improvement at high levels in multiple matchups. And a lot of its matchups are close, right? A lot of its matchups are 50-50. So you look at um, top level players are going to play Miracle Rogue and they're going to feel like they're favored against everything. And if they're not favored against everything, they feel like they have a chance to beat everything. Because the ba- the matchup spread is balanced, very well-wounded. You're not really upset to see any specific opponent. Maybe Warrior is the most challenging, the most difficult matchup. And then Priest uh, can be tough as well. But it's, it's tough, like, I don't know, a little over 40%, 45%. It, it feels winnable. Oh yeah, it's it's one of the lowest polarity decks in the format. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the least polarized deck in the game. Uh, it's got a very flat matchup spread where it doesn't really beat anything hard, but it doesn't really lose to anything. And those kind of decks do carry value, uh, especially amongst pros because they like to have control and agency. Um, and Miracle Rogue gives them that control and that agency. Like they feel like every matchup, every match is winnable. Um, no matter who it is, what you're playing against, uh, Miracle stands a chance. That has some value, even though the win rate isn't the highest. Uh, but its win rate does improve. You can see it at Top Legends, win rate is higher than compared to the rest of the rank brackets. So that's Miracle Rogue. Secret Rogue is more specialized at Beeling Paladin. And uh, since it runs a secret package, then, you know, matchups where it needs to pressure, it's going to lack a little bit of that compared to Miracle Rogue. And matchups, like hyper-aggressive matchups, is also going to, like Face Hunter, it's going to have a tougher time compared to Miracle Rogue. Um, It's generally better throughout most rank brackets than Miracle Rogue because um, the popularity of Paladin. But at top legend, you see less Paladins, you see a more diverse meta. And that's where the the 50-50 matchups 
the the flat matchup spread of Miracle Rogue uh, comes through. Uh, so that's a secret. And then Poison Rogue, you know, we expected Poison Rogue to get better with this patch, uh, but we didn't expect Libin Paladin to be this good after the balance changes. And Libin Paladin, even though it's a slower deck, is still very, very effective against Poison Rogue. And even the Nazoth build of, of Secret Paladin, even though it's slower, it's highly disruptive to Poison Rogue, and the matchup is still very, very strong uh, for the Paladin. So um, Poison Rogue is still being kept in check by enough things to not um, be overly powerful, and it's actually weaker comparatively before the balance changes. That's kind of funny. Yeah, it's... Dealing with a Crab Rider was a lot easier than dealing with a uh, like a corrupted Carousel Griffin or whatever. Um, and I found that playing as Poison Rogue, generally your plan is ignore the board. And if you ignore the board and you were against Conviction decks, you're going to die. That's just not going to yeah. go well for you. That's part of the reason also why it's so good, why Paladin is so good against Lifesteal Demon Hunter, because... They can't kill all your stuff, and the moment you connect conviction, it just you just die. Um, yeah, so conviction, good card, by the way. Let's run conviction in our paladin decks. There aren't Librem. The only reason Librem doesn't run conviction is because um, it has higher priority on holy spells. It wants to draw its Librems. It doesn't want to draw conviction off of Knight of Anointment. Uh, but it's possible that conviction would still be fine in, in Librem Paladin, but it, there's just no space for it. So um, that's what I wanted to say about Rogue. I think Rogue is in a decent spot, pretty healthy spot, not overly powerful, not underpowered either, pretty good. I am um, addicted to playing it. The gameplay is so dynamic, and you are capable of being kind of a smork deck and kind of a value deck, and you get to draw a lot of cards, and all your cards are really cheap, and you get to play with really powerful one-mana removal spells. I'm all about it. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I would I would be all about it if Elusia wasn't in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get the wicked stabs out of your hand because otherwise you get stabbed. I, I refuse to play decks that lose to Elusia. Whenever Elusia is drawn, you lose the game. I don't want that. Uh, Elusia is a card that I find to be... Yeah, I don't like that card, needless to say. But uh, yeah, when so let's talk about Priest a little bit because Priest... You know, it's a new meta, so the report is talking about something, but there's other things also developing that I want to talk about in the podcast specifically because uh, things have happened since uh, uh, I wrote the, the pre-section. So priest, you have two options now um, when it comes to control priest, right? So control priest, when it comes to standing in the meta, similar position to before. Um, lower ranks, not very good. Uh, top legend, quite good. Um, two reasons. Warlock population, skill gap. Right, A lot of its matchups improved. Uh, even from legend to top legend, you notice a difference uh, in the performance of Control Priest. And uh, there's some some of it has to do with builds. Uh, people at high levels just know how to build Priests better. and also, But also it comes to piloting. So Control Priest is a pretty complex deck. Very impressive in that regard. Uh, when it comes to builds, the Giants build is very well-rounded, still uh, quite successful wherever Priest is successful. But there's a new build that we couldn't really talk about in this report, but that's starting to pop up and showing promise to be at least as good as the Giants control piece. 
and that's the Nazoth build. I played that deck yesterday and felt really powerful. Um, is the one with the Southie strong arm? Yeah. So what you do yeah. basically, if you're if you if you just look at the list in the report and you just want to play the Nazoth build, what you do is just take out Devouring Giant package, and you take out probably a Sarah, but it could be another card like a Smite or something, and you run double Scoundrel, the four mana pirate five five that discovers a card uh, from your opponent and gives it to him as well. And you run P Elemental and you add Nazoth. Those are the five cards. You just add five cards that make Nazoth a pretty strong win condition because you have Scorpid as a beast. You have dragons that you can discover off studies. Sometimes you find Amalgam that's even duddier. Um, And you've got the, the, the pirate and the, the P elemental. So that build feels very proactive because you actually have a finisher. And at least anecdotally, it felt really powerful against the Liberum Paladin specifically. And it's also good in the mirror because you're running Scoundrel. Scoundrel is an insane card in the mirror. You put your opponent one ahead in fatigue because they draw, but you generate. And it's a big body. It's a four mana five five. So it's not good in like faster matchups. You don't want to give your opponent cards or, or their cards. Definitely not. But in control matchups, it's very strong. And since it's a pirate body, then you have the further upside that justifies, uh, that makes you it justified um, with Nazoth because you, you resurrect it. And 5 5 is pretty threatening. So that build looks competitive with the Giant Devouring build, because it beats the Giant Devouring build. It's way better in the mirror. And has, at least anecdotally, my initial impression is that it's stronger in slower matchups. Perhaps it's weaker in faster matchups. It's very likely so. Like things like, uh, if you're playing against uh, Nazoth Paladin, um, you might get stuck with heavier, clunkier cards. But... Slower matchups, high levels of play, perhaps it could be the better variant. Um, so that's the development that I saw just like like last 48 hours. It's very, very new. So you couldn't get into this report. So you've got priest, control priest, very promising. Um, miracle priest, we said before, like last week, Gabby hit number one legend with it. It had a reasonable win rate and then the, res- the reasonable win rate disappeared. It just tanked. So that deck doesn't seem good enough, but Corrupt Priest started popping up. And Corrupt Priest statistically looks bad, but if you dig into the data, you start seeing some promise. And the promise comes when you play a Control Priest shell. You don't give up one Maker and Scorpion. You don't go all in on Corrupts. You just plaster the Corrupt package on top of a Control Priest shell. And you run Carnival Clowns. A lot of people ask me, oh, how do you corrupt carnival clowns with just Yogg or whatever? First of all, you can discount them. Second, you can corrupt them with studies, dragons that you discover off of studies. Or you corrupt them with Yogg. Or you don't need to corrupt them at all. There are multiple matchups where just playing three, four, four taunts is good enough to close the game. You don't need to corrupt it in every matchup. You usually need to corrupt Carnival Clowns 
in slower matchups, and then you have time to do that. That's the key message when it comes to clowns. And honestly, I was surprised to see how good clowns are, but I can't argue with the fact that Carnival Clown seems like a legitimate win condition in that deck and helps push it to uh, competitive viability. Now, it's probably worse than Control Priest. It's very likely still worse, but it does beat Control Priest because Clowns is a hell of a card in, in that matchup. Like, they don't have... Like, if you play in Yashiraj and Carnival Clowns, they have one Soul Mirror. They can discover another one or two, but it's very rare they're going to be able to do that quickly enough. You got a lot of value in your deck. You sacrifice removal um, in order to have more threat density in that build. And when you have a threat dense build versus a removal build, usually the threat dense build will win out. That's how the corrupt versus control matchup goes. So that deck is kind of funny. Uh, and yeah, that Zanish uh, buff made an impact. It puts Corrupt Priest on the cusp of being competitive, uh, competitively viable. It made an impact. You're not going to see it. You're not going to feel it dramatically. But maybe later down the road, you're going to feel it. Because the deck did drastically improve thanks to that change. It's also, there's also, again, it got better because Crab Rider got nerfed. Can you hear that a lot today? Not having to deal with Crab Rider made that deck better. But yeah, it's Corrupt Priest. I played a little bit of it. Feels like this weirdo, janky druid. Like, it feels so druidy because you just play like... It, it feels like Clown Druid, kind of. Yeah, yeah. it feels like Clown Druid. You have some mana cheating with Inside, and Zanish is kind of your overgrowth. Uh, it can definitely feel like that sometimes. Um, but you can raise that your clowns as well. So oh, that's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah. Pretty yeah. juicy. Yeah, it's is juicy. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I played a little bit of Corrupt Priest. It's it's not it's it's not necessarily a thing, but it's not a complete joke. Like you can play it, and and it feels like fighting from behind most of the time, but you can win games with it. Also, it's the best Priest deck against the Warlock. You actually have a reasonable shot at winning. The matchup is a lot better than Control yeah, Priest because you have threats. It's not favorite. It's not a favorite, but clowns can get the job done. You can you can catch them off guard with that. So, yeah, it's it's good in slow matchups. It still lacks like against aggressive decks. You you have a problem because you're running a lot of stuff, right? You're running stat driven stuff, value. You don't have removal, and yeah, this deck did get better because of crab rider because it doesn't have early game removal. Um, you're mostly looking to, uh, but what. What improves the deck is running Wandmaker and Scorpid because it does give you some proactive early game plays that can test board and provide you with options. So, yeah, that deck is funny and, and pretty cool. It's not good enough, pro still very likely, but there is something there. It could be low tier, uh, tier three uh, if it's refined. I can see that for sure. Yep. So, like, new set, something else happens, a meta changes, and the deck could be there. It's close. Um, and yeah. a lot of these decks can be just a small nudge away from getting there. Speaking of which, Death, Rattle, Demon, Hunter. Yeah. That, that's maybe the the new archetype that emerged as a result of these balance changes and very dramatically so. And uh, Death, Rattle, Demon, Hunter looks very successful. Uh, but... 
you notice a top legend, it's when it starts to tank. That's an indication that the deck somewhat stagnated around something that it probably shouldn't do or is doing too much of. And that's how insanely greedy Death Rattle Demon Hunter is. Now, there are two options with Death Rattle Demon Hunter that I've seen that could make it compete better in faster matchup. The issue with Death Rattle Demon Hunter right now is that it's super threat dense with like Nazoth and stuff. And, you know, your Skull Gul'dan is pretty unreliable when you build that heavy. And you beat Control Warrior. You beat Control Warlock. You destroy them. But what happens when you queue up into a Face Hunter? What happens when you queue up into, like... Well, Jibble and Druid, there's not much you can do, but... <laughs> Miracle Rogue. Things that can outpace you. You have a problem. You, you, don't, you don't have good swings. You're kind of just putting stuff on the board sticky stuff and hope that is enough against slower decks that's very effective because the removal is ineffective you know they kill the boar and something else pops up to kill that another thing pops up very hard to keep you off the board but if you're playing against a faster leaner deck you're gonna have a problem sticking to the board and actually um not dying especially when you run things like berserker right dark spirit berserker yeah it's a big body but it also kills you uh, very often. So there's two options. One is to run things like Insatiable Failhound, right? Uh, the corrupt three mana alongside Fell Steel. You get some survivability, some life stealing, some defensive tools. Maybe you can do that. I've seen some people experiment with it. It it's possibly a way for the threat dense, you know. Stats on the board, death rattle version, to help uh, to to get better in matchups like Face Hunter. The other option that we have in the report is to imitate Soul Demon Hunter, and that build showed promise before the patch, as well. It, it was uh, propagated by a player uh, who's a supporter of us, uh, called Delicious Squash. Nicknames Delicious Squash, and he kind of help popularize the Bladed Lady variant. And this variant looked like the best variant of Death Rattle Demon Hunter before the patch. And you run Eldraki Warblades, you run Bladed Lady, you run attack modifiers, so you can race faster decks with Eldraki Warblades and attack buffs. You have Tempo Swings, you run Fishy Flyer over the Berserker to have more ways to impact the board immediately, clear things out, Clear the opponent's board so you can go face with your Felsteel Executioner. Uh, if you have Rush Minions and you can clean up the board, makes it easier for you to go face. So that build looked very promising before the patch. Was already looked viable. And now I want to see how it performs in this meta. Because it's possibly worse against things maybe like Libum Paladin. Maybe you want more threat density against Libum Paladin. But against things like Priest, against things like Troll Warrior, you don't need all that threat density. Inquisitor gets the job done. Felsteel Executioner, the three-mana card that deals 12 damage. That's a lot of damage, Ant. And you you get there with ex Inquisitors. You don't have a problem in the slower matchups. The question is, how is this deck, how can we make this deck a little bit more flexible in the faster matchups? And this is our suggestion. The archetype is still new. There could be more developments. 
to help it contest uh, faster matchups better in other ways. I don't know. Uh, the point is, deck is still new. Currently, it seems to be stagnating in its current iterations. It probably needs to develop further. The question is how. We feature one option, which is to make it more like Soul Demon Hunter. There is data behind it because it was very successful before the patch. want to see what happens after the patch. How does it do? Another option, just make it generally the Nizoth build, less greedy. Or give them some, add some defensive cards um, that can allow it them to sustain, to fend off some aggression and stuff. One thing you probably can't do is have AoE to be able to deal with Gibbling Druid, but that's one matchup you kind of have... You don't have much to do against it. You're not going to run Immolation Aura just for Dribbling Druids. Um, so, yeah, the deck seems promising. Promising enough to stick around. It's probably not going to be dominant, but it's something that Demon Hunter can do and succeed with on ladder. And it buffed. It got, it got buffed. Razor Boar nudged it yeah. a little bit. Suddenly, this deck, yeah, spicy. Is that spicy enough for you guys? I don't know. It's, I feel like there's some spice. Yeah, there is spice. We're running Nazoth in a nine drop in Demon Hunter. When has that ever happened? It's it is a different kind of Demon Hunter than we've seen before. Now we only had the first year of it, but think about how much harder you have to work for your damage now without Twin Slice, without Blade Dance, without all of these things that we took for granted. Um, it's it's kind of cool to see the development here. Now, of course, Demon Hunter still has its riches. We call it Illidari Inquisitor which has been an incredibly powerful card that was added in the core set. And uh, I don't know if we'll see it in next year's core set because I have seen very few Demon Hunter decks without this card. Yeah, you ended up being very right about that card, and I was very wrong about that card. I didn't expect that, uh, you know, an 8-drop would be good enough in a deck with Skull Gul'dan, but ends up uh, good enough. And sometimes you discount it with Skull, and it's even more insane. Jambre um, built a deck based around just buffing it in your hand and then copying it as many times as you can and then playing it every turn till your opponent dies. It's doing okay with it. It's a Jambre deck, so like if you are not Jambre, be aware that you may not do as well with it, but pretty impressive that you can just copy Inquisitor over and over again all game and then just play it and hit him in the face like four turns in a row until you win. Yeah, and then we have a Lifesteal Demon Hunter... Uh, looks a lot better. It still doesn't... It's not dominant. still doesn't have a positive win rate. Even at uh, Top Legend. Which is pretty much where it was during uh, Dark Moon races. And uh, But, you know, the, the balance changes helped Demon Hunter a lot. Because the hyper-aggressive Paladin decks really were insurmountable. But Death Metal Demon Hunter actually has a chance against the slower Paladin decks... And uh, even though Lifesteal Demon Hunter still struggles in those matchups, um, the fact that these matchups are not as popular um, certainly gives it a better chance to succeed. And you can see also how, uh, you know, its win rate went from dumpster tier 4 to, like, high tier 3 uh, at Top Legend. So the deck is definitely viable. You probably want to combo build right now. It's much better against Rogues. The hybrid pretty much disappeared. Um... There's one weirdo hybrid build with Death Rattles that does not have really much traction in the data, uh, but did win a qualifier. Yeah, that that build could be good, like could could be competitive uh, with the um, pure combo build 
Um, not ruling that out. It's very possible that it's a viable alternative. We'll look into it. It's probably going to gain traction. People are going to play it more because they want to qualify. We'll be able to evaluate and compare and discuss it next week. Uh, but signs suggest that it could be competitive with the combo build. Uh, so, yeah. there, there Suddenly, there's options, you know? Death uh, Demon Hunter yeah. is a class that was revitalized by the balance changes that we expected that to, be, to happen. And, and, you know, our expectations were met. Definitely looks, look, looks pretty good. But even though we were expecting it to rise not because of Demon Hunter getting better, but because of Paladin getting worse, Paladin shifted and is still powerful and is still a problem for the class, but Demon Hunter has improved despite Paladin still being the best class in the meta. So... I'm I'm glad they added some options here, and that Demon Hunter has some competitive stuff to do. I was super I was super curious to check, just to see if enough people started uh, net decking us with the Death Rattle Demon Hunter build, and I can tell you that deck has promise. Yeah, like it, it has promise. You still you're still fine against Priest. Uh, you're much better against Rogue. Yeah, that's where I think the extra damage really matters. Yeah, the extra damage, or and the fact that you can just race them. Uh, and they don't have much to, like, they can't do much against that. Obviously, you're still going to lose to Gibberling Druid, but the deck's matchup spread seems quite promising. Uh, it's possibly better than an Azoth builds. The only problem might be the Paladin matchup. That's where I think this deck is worse, the variant that we have in the report. But most of the matchups are better. So, at least that's the initial impression, you know, the hot impression off of like a half a day, but yeah, uh, yeah. At least we're not crazy. What we suggest in the report is definitely not crazy. This seems uh, quite good. Well, I'm glad Demon Hunter has options. Not every class has options, Zach. You ready to talk about Mage? Because I read the section of the report this week and indicated that the Spring Water nerf was subtle, but dramatically impacted the performance of of spell mage tell us a little bit more about that yeah so they ended up nerfing spring water you know most people expected them to nerf in Fall, myself included um and you know day one day two mage is still very popular and people say yeah what change you know i play flow on two i still lose still flow yeah flow is a problem card still in terms of gameplay patterns it's not great experience to play against it but we nerfed the other really strong card really powerful card in the deck by one mana and if you know that nizoth is so dramatically better just by being changed from 10 mana to nine how do you even think that nerfing spring water by one mana is not going to make a difference so i looked at it i looked at the matchup spread i compare it to the pre-patch matchup spread so many things got redder hat. So many matchups got worse just because of this change. Um, and Spell Mage, from a deck that was quite weak on the climb to Legend, but still a positive winner at Legend and Top Legend, now it's fifty percent. It's it's sub fifty percent everywhere. It's not good enough anywhere. It's not particularly strong. Or prevalent or oppressive or any of that. It, it's not that. It's not even a good deck. And uh, and it started to tank in its play right now. 
I'm, I'm signing it past 24 hours. People are starting to catch up. That spell mage just isn't that good anymore. Its play rate, if you look at the report, a top legend got cut by half, but it's still like 10%. You're going to see that number drop significantly by next week. That deck is not going to be super prevalent anymore. And the balance changes pretty much removed it from the position where it was, where it was highly popular and highly influential. It's not going to be that anymore. People are still going to play it because it's fun. But, you know, if it's going to be a stronger version of Ticketus Warlock at this stage where people play it, but it's kind of tier three or somewhere around that mark, then uh, that's pretty, that's fine, you know? You're not going to be as frustrated by Encanter's Flow if it's not going to be 20% of your games. You're going to have to run into that deck and have a lottery of did they find flow or did they not find flow. Because when, when Spellmage does not find flow after the patch, it's a really bad deck, Hat. <laughs> like that yep. deck, if you don't find flow within the first few turns, like it's a very sad opponent to face. Uh, I've done like I've faced them, and if they don't have flow, it feels like they have very little chance of winning the game. I love when they spring water on five and then can't a Pexus blast that turn. I just feel like it feel invincible. Yeah, it just it just the spring water. What it did the nerf, it makes it so that spring water is no longer like you can't keep it in your opening hand anymore. First of all. My argument is that you should have never kept it in your opening hand, only if you had flow already. But the point is that you can't play on curve with Springwater. If you're playing Springwater now and you didn't have Encanter's Flow before, it means that you have to sacrifice at least one mana to play things. And and that makes a big difference. Just ask any Shaman player about what one mana costs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one attack. What one attack did to box pine knuckles. So uh it makes a big difference. So spell mage is not very good and mage needs help. Mage did not get help in buff and through the buff patch and its other archetypes look very very bad. Spell damage is not really playable and you know the whole wildfire thing is not working out. So mage is actually one of the more uh, struggling classes uh right now. It it needs help. Probably uh as I said last week, you probably want to nerf flow eventually, but you need to compensate it in other ways so that spell mage can still be competitive because if you nerf flow now, it's really, really dead. Well, and they they actively avoided nerfing flow. Like Ixar said on, on his last AMA, they actively avoided nerfing yeah. flow, which they definitely tested internally. And three mana flow, spell mage was just completely deleted. And it's it's like we talked about last week, if it's still this popular despite not winning games, like they want to keep that deck around because that's a design win and it's yeah. still not winning games. Yeah, so so the point is they wanted to keep it like uh, so that it would still have a noticeable play rate but a low win rate where people who love the deck would will still play it but it's not going to be overly powerful or overly common. And that's uh, that's what it's shaping out to be. So that change... Is going to end up um, being successful. I doubted this change. I said, well, are we sure we don't want to nerf flow if we're nerfing Spellmage? But 
nerfing Springwater will actually prove to be the correct decision in the context of what we were, what we had, right? In the context in the position that that they were in, where they didn't want to delete the deck, they recognized that flow is a problem, but they expected that this nerf, the lighter nerf of Springwater, would still be strong enough to drop the deck uh, from its uh, 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 current power level and put it at a power level where it's this niche thing that only people that really love playing will play it. Sort of like Lifesteal Demon Hunter, which can be very strong at competitive. Um, and like in tournament lineups, there's definitely a lot of justification to running Lifesteal Demon Hunter because it's so good against like slow control decks that don't run the Lucia. You're really good against that. But the point is, uh, like you're not going to see Spellmage that commonly on ladder anymore, which means you're not going to see Encanter's Flow that much, which makes it more tolerable, right? If you have a highly polarizing and frustrating card, but it's only in like 5% of decks rather than 20, it's a different thing. You can tolerate it. So pretty much hit the mark here, and uh, they're going to end up being proven right despite the Reddit hysteria uh, that we experienced so last week. I am. I have also been, just anecdotally from my experience on NA, uh, I've seen a lot less of this deck. It, it's just people are less interested in playing it I'm seeing it decline. It's declining right now. As we speak at, I'm seeing the numbers past 24 hours, past 48 hours, past 72 hours. There's a significant decline in Spellmage. You're not going to see, it's not going to be very prevalent next week when you look yep. at the, the report number 197. And the most recent one that I played against still played Deck of Lunacy, so it was very clear they were all about whatever that archetype was trying to do. Good for them. Yeah, I uh, my last game I played against a Lunacy on 4. And I easily beat it as a priest. Um, yeah. Imagine if they had a bunch of burn spells instead. That would have been crazy. There is a sentiment that Lunacy is still good. And I'm not going to say that Lunacy is bad in every matchup. And it's not really like it's not playable. But you need to run uh, Flame Strike for it. Flame Strike is a bad card. You really want Shooting Star in the current meta. Oh, shooting Star uh, that's something so that good. we. Yeah, so you really want double shooting star. That's the best spell mage build right now on ladder. It, it's not close. It's way better than running lunacy and flame strike instead of those shooting stars. It helps you clean up boards, early boards. It's invaluable against rogue. It's insane against rogue. Insane against druid. Uh, really good against hunter as well, which is one of your tougher matchups. So if you want to play spell mage right now, I highly recommend you to run the shooting star build rather than, you know, Pray that Lunacy connects on four and you get the best top decks possible. Yep. It's uh, a scrap imp deck. Okay. Yeah. So so you want to go through another class that significantly changed because of the balance patch, despite what everybody says? Let's go talk about Druid. Druid. So you're not talking about Jibberling Druid because that is the same 30 cards. You're talking about something else. Yeah, same. I'm talking about Clown Druid. So turns out when the meta is slow, Survival of the Fittest and Clowns are kind of good. And Clown Druid is honestly the deck that shocked me. Because if you remember last podcast, when we talked about this deck, I kind of wrote it off. And I did that prematurely because I didn't expect the field to get this slow over the next few days for this deck to look so good. And 
Cloundroid is a thing. It's a real thing uh, because there are a lot of decks right now that don't pressure hard. Crab Rider is on two is not a thing anymore. That was the one card. Like if um, if I need to say, mention one deck that really hated Crab Rider on two more than any deck in the meta, and a lot of them did hate Crab Rider on two. But if there is one deck that really suffered, that you when you played it, you groaned, you you put your head in your you put your face in your hands no, whenever you that press thing happened. Escape happened. concede. Escape on your keyboard and you click the red button. Yeah. Yeah, it's Cloundroid. It had no way to answer Crab Rider. Hand of a doll would be like 12 damage at least to your face over the next couple of turns. And um now it's it's not a thing anymore. So Druid, yeah, it's not amazing against uh, Paladin, but it's much better. And the Living Paladin matchup is close. So now Druid actually has some breathing room. You're still going to lose to like the hyper-aggressive decks like Dribbling Druid. Still going to be a bad matchup. Face Hunter is not going to be easy still. But the fact that Paladin is no longer destroying you is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And uh, Priest, lots of Priests, Greedy Priests, uh, Greedy Warriors. Uh, rogues aren't the fastest. Like Miracle Rogue can, can give you problems because they run Neophyte. And that card's very good against you. But um, the deck has a chance. Suddenly you see its win rate be so high. It's so high, Hat. It's crazy. Well, uh, okay. It is it is it is above 50%, which is relatively high for Clown Druid. It's like, it's tier one at other rank brackets. You look at, you look at the, um, like at Legend, like at, at lower Legend, it's tier one. Like it's, it's really good because yeah, the meta is a bit janky there because people will like hit legend and they experiment and do all sorts of things and clown Druid kind of punishes that but it's positive win rate across the board this deck was tier three all throughout before the patch and now suddenly this deck is is performing like this is a huge change so droid is not just gibbling they're also clowns as those clowns get get the job done they they can definitely contest a lot of the late game strategies and give them problems, and you even can run Yasharaj. Yasharaj is a card. Is a card. I looked at it before the patch, and I my in, my reaction was, "Oh, this is so greedy. This is so bad and greedy." And suddenly, I look at Yasharaj's post patch, and that card is good now, because you really want more waves of clowns against priests, against other in other late game matchups. Yasharaj is now good or like a, a reasonable option. Over like Talon, where you just want to find your first clowns and went through the first set of clowns. Um, so yeah, the deck is is very different. Uh, I've seen uh, people play uh, Moon Touch Amulet. That card can also be better uh, with Yasharaj. Gives you some armor games, some weights to remove things in the early game and the mid game against like uh, things like Rogue and such. Uh, but um, yeah, deck's good. Deck's good now. Uh, not the development I was expecting, but things are no, definitely, definitely like not. the amount of early game pressure in this format is somewhat limited. We expected Druid. We expected Druid to get better because of Paladin nerfs, Clown Druid. We did expect that, but I didn't expect it to be this good. Like I, I thought maybe it would scratch tier two, but it looks more than that. Uh, it looks quite uh, viable and competitive, and that's a new 
that's a development that's kind of changing the meta as well. Because, uh, yeah, the composition of Druid is going to change. You're going to see more Clown Druids trying to punish uh, the greediness of the meta. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think Carnival Clowns turned out to be, uh, I think, one of the uh, most well-designed des- well late-game finishers in the format. Um, it just This is the kind of finisher that we want in the game. And you have to work so hard to corrupt it, too. Like It's not something that just happens yeah, by accident. You work- this is exactly why it's well designed. You need to work hard for it, but the reward is game ending or can be game ending in a lot of matchups. Like in like any matchup, any deck that doesn't have soul mirror, like you you play clowns and you just win. Uh so yeah, very impressive. Yeah. Let me tell you about clown Zach. So this is an anecdote that's not going to be related to any decks that we talk about, but the format has slowed down so much. I played against a warrior in ladder today. Where they corrupted their clowns with a with a uh, a rabbit, with a dark moon rabbit, and they played clown. Now I had played a Vanessa, and I took their clown, and I played my own. They shadow stepped one. They trade their clowns. They play their second set of clowns. So I play my second clown. They clear those, and they play Asherah. Then they concede. Wait, wait. Was it Rush Warrior or Control Warrior? Control Warrior. Oh, Control Clown Warrior. Okay. With Bunny. I haven't seen much of that, but... No. Yeah. But it's just that's, an illustration to how the format has slowed down dramatically. I don't think that's indicative of what all I mean, some of it has to doing, do but, because... Yeah. I mean, it's an early meta of a patch, and usually that happens. But even when the meta settles down, it's going to be a lot slower than what you're, you were used to before the balance changes. So uh, the meta is definitely uh, changing quite dramatically. Speaking of Warrior, uh, Control Warrior, that doesn't run Clown. Uh, looks a lot better, Control Warrior. Uh, thanks to the Shield Maiden buff. Spicy, spicy, not spicy. Is that spicy enough for you guys? I don't know. It's For a GVG card that I played a lot of, it looked pretty spicy to me, but I guess not that many people were playing during GVG uh, that are still around. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess people are not that excited about armor gain, but guys, Control Warrior was desperate for good armor gain after rotation, and Maiden gives him that. And, like, the deck rose in its win rate so much. It's still, its win rate is still low, but it climbed, like, 4%. It was completely dead before the balance changes. And now, just this one change in some meta, like, some other balance changes that nerfed other things in the deck is almost there. And I could argue that it's already there if it's built well. So here's the thing. Um, you guys probably remember me talking about Zerius number one legend control warrior after like two hours into the patch or something like that. That build ran Magtheridon, and Magtheridon is very good, but what it didn't run is uh, Rattlegore. And the reason why Zerius didn't run Rattlegore because he was concerned with Priest, a top legend. You know, a top legend, you often run into the same people. If they play Priest, you don't want to run Rattlegore. But if you don't run Rattlegore in control warrior, a lot of other matchups are going to suffer for it. If there's one matchup that I can uh, pinpoint to be very important, Radogor is is a huge card, is Liberum Paladin. Because if you don't run Radogor, if you don't have the that kind of inevitability, it's very easy for them to outlast even your Cthulhu uh, as a Liberum Paladin. So Radogor gives them a clock, gives you a clock of like, yeah, I'm running Cthulhu, but if you don't 
pressure me enough, I'm going to stick my Rattlegore on turn 9, and I'm going to faceless it, and that will kill you. Um, so people are very insistent on Cthulhu, and I can kind of understand it in this at this point because Priest is very popular at Top Legend where Control Warrior is popular. So people want that. Cthulhu helps uh, Control Warrior become favorable against Priest. And if you're not doing that, you're unfavorable against Priest. But what I don't get is not running Rattlegore with Faceless. At least that package uh, uh, with Talon is very good. One exa- Another example of a matchup that dramatically shifts when you run Rattlegore package, Control Warlock. Yeah, this isn't very popular at Top Legend where Libran Paladin is relevant, right? Rattlegore is still good there. But in any other rank bracket, you're going to run into a number of Control Warlocks and adding Talon, Faceless, and Rattlegore changes that matchup by about 50%. Not relative 50%. I'm talking about literally a matchup that goes from like 20% uh, to the Warrior to like 65% to the Warrior. It's that different because of Rattlegore. Because Cthulhu is not effective against Ticketus. But if you pull tail, uh, Rattlegore off of Talon and you get either Faceless or even Terran Gorfing off, on a Rattlegore, what are they going to do? They they can't do anything against it. So, Rattlegore puts a clock in a lot of decks, and if you don't run it, it they it, you allow your opponent to really take their time. It, it, it helps, like it really helps them when they don't need to worry about that thing dropping to the board and being copied. Uh, Cthulhu is very very slow. As I said, it's only really relevant against Priest. So if you run the build that we have in the report, I think you actually have a chance to be pretty well-rounded or at least what Rattlegore does is it slightly depolarizes the deck because it has a lot of really bad matchups and some good matchups. What adding that card does is just help you give you a chance in some of the matchups where you're kind of hopeless, like Warlock. Suddenly you're like, ah, I'm beating Warlock now because I have Rattlegore in my deck. With faceless and cascading disaster, twisting nether does nothing against that. Um, so other card choices that are important. Bulwark is very good right now uh, because Paladin is playing beefy stuff. Man, that card is so annoying. Every time I see a yeah. Bulwark, I'm just so annoyed by it. Yeah, it's really good against. It's one of your outs against Lifesteal Demon Hunter. That matchup is really bad, but one of the ways you win is you play Bulwark at the right time and maybe Rattlegore gets there before they're able to proc off the Bulwark, get the charges off, and uh, and you hit them in the face and they can't remove the Rattlegore. That's one way you win. Another way is you play Magtheridon. That's another out in uh, in the Demon Hunter matchup. Uh, a faster out, right? 12-12 on the board. Pretty hard for them to clear. Uh, McThurden is quite impressive. It's very good against Priest because it screws up their raise dead. I was really surprised about, like, I looked at McThurden and I, I, I wanted to see how it performs against different classes. And one of the best classes is Priest. I'm saying, why why is Priest so good? They have, like, death. They have ways to kill it, remove it. It's because of raise dead. <laughs> it oh, really screws man. up their raise dead. Oh. It screws up their raise dead so hard. I think about that, but that makes so much sense. You're just, like, giving them the whelps from the Leroy. Yeah, it's it's uh it's pretty funny. And also sometimes it gets them, but the point is McTherden is surprisingly effective in a lot of matchups. Um 
obviously it's going to be good against something like Miracle Rogue because they don't have hard removal. Like if you play McTherrin and you activate against them, they 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 can be kind of screwed, uh, unless they have like the most insane plunder return, which can happen. But you know, uh, so yeah, Control Warrior on the cusp, on the cusp. I kind of wrote it off last podcast, but now that I'm seeing the promise of this build, if you run both Cthun and Rattlegore, then maybe there's something there. I still don't like Cthun. I don't think it's good. It's mostly because of Priest, but. Uh, I think Control Warrior is kind of close to being good enough. If you run Rattlegore, it's definitely going to help you in the uh, in some matchups where like the Cthulhu alone is pretty hopeless. Uh, yeah, but if we buffed Cthulhu hat, maybe this deck would actually have been real. Uh, I really would like to see them buff the other old gods because look what Nazoth did, right? Just Nazoth. Nazoth was the most boring old god, right? You can consider it the most boring one, like in terms of what it does, and it just resurrects. They nudged it by one mana, and the meta is so different now. There's this new finisher. It's exciting. People are trying out this new thing. Imagine they buffed Cthulhu and Yogg-Saron. Like, you would help so many classes. Like, Shaman, maybe Control Shaman can run Cthulhu. Uh, maybe there would be a Priest deck that runs Cthulhu. Um, Control Warrior would be helped. If you buffed Yogg, then suddenly Druid maybe puts it over the edge. Um, there's so many things that you can do with the old gods if they were actually viable. So you see what happened with Nazoth. I would like to see it happen with those two as well, specifically Yashvaraj. Um, maybe you buff it if you nerf Ticketus. But mm. yeah, the point is... The point is, old gods are can be exciting. I think they can introduce uh, like this format needs more finisher. I tweeted that out, and people clearly want to play with these cards because they keep forcing them they in decks where they don't to. belong. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they could keep they keep playing these old gods even in decks that you shouldn't play them in because they want to play them. So why not just make them also good and viable so that players won't feel like they're limited by just adding these bad cards into their decks um i think it's something so, food food for thought uh, i think nazoth is an experiment that is successful that proves that you can do that and and help get uh, like help uh get people more excited about things that are happening in the meta and considering that nazoth is the most boring old god then imagine if Cthulhu was actually good uh, or Yogg was actually good. Maybe some people fear about uh, Yogg being too good because of the RNG element. But I think you can buff, like we talked about how to buff uh, Yogg Sauron. You can buff it to, to a way where, yeah, you have different outcomes, but they kind of contribute to the same goal. And that makes the card more consistent than it appears to be. So i would like to see that i think that if if Cthune pieces were four mana i think control warrior would actually be good right now uh i think the pieces are just crippling to the deck because you really want you want Cthune for the priest matchup but it hobbles you in every other matchup it's a big tax on your other matchup if, if it wasn't the case if it wasn't such a big tax then i think it would be real I think it's already almost real on ladder. But yeah, if you nudge that, then it would help the archetype a lot, especially with the shield maiden buff. Yeah, it's close. It's close. Or or maybe they print some bomb armor gain card in the mini set. I don't know. 
That'd be nice. I think uh, if you don't buff Cthulhu, you probably need a more reliable finisher. Or, like, just... I guess Rattlegore Cthulhu can be a combination. Just... Uh, I wish but Cthulhu was actually good and not such such a tax on the deck because it is. Yeah. Because sometimes you need it, but you don't like not having to need it. Um, any changes to Rush Warrior at all? Or still the same old, same mm. old? I think it's still running Crab Rider. Yeah, you still run Crab Rider because Crab Rider and Warrior, yes, sometimes you played it on two and then Rokara. And sometimes you played it alongside Parade Leader and was a threat in the early game. But Crab Rider is more, mostly a mid-game swing card with conditioning. That was its best role. In the in the deck, and that doesn't change, right? Because it still has Wind Fury when it enters the board. So being able to buff it with conditioning, kill two things, um, is is still useful for that archetype. Um, it wasn't as reliant on like the early blowouts as Paladin was. So Rush Warrior is still a very good deck. Uh, has a really good matchup spread. One of the best answer to Miracle Rogue uh, in the game in the format. So definitely has its role. Um, some players are not like it, like at high levels of play. Don't really like Rush Warrior because it loses to Priest. But Miracle Rogue is even more popular than Priest at Top Legend, so that makes up for it. So Rush Warrior is pretty good still. Not much has changed. You probably don't want Shield of Honor anymore because that, like, one of the best application of that card was with Crab Rider, and now um, there's less incentive to do that. So Ten Thrashers, we noticed, got better. Also helps you against Paladin, especially the heavier builds. Helps uh, keep them off the board sometimes. Um, but not much has changed when it comes to Rush Warrior. But enough has changed within this class where you, you start seeing, again, this one buff to ma- Shield Maiden. Yeah, it didn't. Control Warrior is not really, um, I would say, a meta contender. But you see, it's close. It's a lot closer now. And just one new card or one other buff or something like that makes that deck competitive. It's already competitive in uh, tournaments. Last hero standing, it's very good. Yeah. Because it beats Miracle Rogue. It beats aggressive decks. Yeah. Look, if you're talking about Mage, uh, the Mage matchup is the tough one for a Control Warrior. Uh, you can ban Mage and uh, you're pretty good. Like You have aggressive decks, uh, Miracle Rogue, Control Priest, you're fine against them. Um, it, when you have a ban available, a lot of decks can get a lot better. So, uh, Control Warrior is a really good example. Yeah. What about Control Warlock? Does that get any better? No. No. Control Warlock uh, still pretty much sucks. Um, obviously it got nerfed as well because of the hysteria change. I don't think it and affected its position in the meta too much because other things that it loses to got nerfed, but turns out it loses to almost everything. Um, you know, it does have some matchups that are reasonable. Like, obviously, it beats Priest. It's okay against Liberal Paladin. It's pretty decent against Liberal Paladin. It doesn't lose to Rush Warrior, but that's where the green or white matchups stop. And then the rest is like red uh, or bright red. Uh, Control Warlock is just not good. There's not much you can do to make it good. You could tech a few things like defensive cards like uh, Death's Head Cultist. That card is pretty reasonable in that deck. Um, but it's, you can pick between, Control Warlock but, is... A lot of other decks are missing a couple pieces, but Control Warlock is so incredibly redundant. It's not that it's missing a few pieces. It has everything that it wants, just what it wants to do isn't a good thing to do. Yeah, 
the game plan is just too slow. It's not effective in, and it's in most linear. matchups. It's just removal spells on curve. That's all it is. Most matchups, most matchups do not come down to fatigue. But it does miss something, huh? There is one thing that it misses, and it's on-demand healing. On-demand healing can be quite limited in Warlock. Yes, you have the fragments. Yes, they can heal a lot. But sometimes you need to heal right now so you don't die to this burst damage that your opponent had time to set up because you're a very slow deck. And if you don't have that burst healing, you're going to die. You're gonna, Or you're going to rely on luck, on fragment luck in order to survive. And sometimes that's not enough. Like Miracle Rogue um, is going to set up, going to be able to set up, unless you win board through Militia. It's one of your outs in, in some of your bad matchups. You just play Militia and you take over the board and you pressure the opponent. That gives you time. That That's a way to win. Wait, I know or how we fix Warlock. I know how we do it. You make a Lucia dual class card. Oh my god, how, don't even speak this into existence. Imagine if you could on the same turn, you could go okay, take I need it to as balance this out. I, take it as I need Lucia to balance this out. You, your statement needs to be balanced out by my next statement, which is delete a Lucia from the game, delete a Lucia from the game, delete a Lucia from the game. Okay. Speak right. that into existence. Okay. okay. So, so uh, Warlock class, Control Warlock sucks. Is Zoo, is Zoo, does anyone? No, no. no? It's okay. really bad. It's like tier six. <laughs> it's so yeah. bad. I started, you know, it was really funny and sad. Where I saw Zoo like pop up in like first few hours of the patch, and then people stop playing it completely. Like you, you, you even see it. You see the people. You seen the data how some people queue it up for a few games, and then like a couple of hours later, you already see them playing another. You, you just have a depression chart of just play yeah, from depression player chart. over time. It's like three data points and then a flat line. Zoo maybe feels good, man. And then a couple of hours later, mm, feels bad, man. No Zoo. Yeah. I, that's what happened to me. I had one good game with it where I got a, a turn three, five, five from Ritual off circle and then a, a turn five concession. I was like, this is great. And then another game, the next game against Mage, like, all right, I got these really fast flesh giants because I took a lot of self damage and they killed me with burn spells and it just went downhill from there. Yeah. Uh, Zoo is just not a deck right now. And Warlock is in a pretty tough spot. I would like to see uh, support for... Like, if we're not nerfing Ticketus and we're keeping that deck as it is, it's going to be kind of limited. They're going to have to design around it where you need to make sure that Control Warlock doesn't be become too good and they want to keep it in its current position because they think that has value where it's a deck that a lot of people like, but it's not powerful. I'm certain they have nerfs locked and loaded for that for that. Uh, yeah, I mean... Hard. If it comes down to a situation where they really want to support new Control Warlock cards, but they feel like Ticketus limits them, that they can nerf Ticketus. But for now, they see more value in keeping the deck as it is. Uh, but other Warlock decks definitely can have some help, especially Zoo. Mill Warlock is another deck that I don't think they want uh, to be good. But yeah. All right. We have one class left. So One real class left. Yeah, let's talk about... So, Hunter is a one-deck class still. Um, Face Hunter has really great numbers, and the this is this reminds me so much of the Hunter conversation we had with Alec. It has really good numbers. The play rate at Legend is 5.5% in the last day. Like, it's so low. 
so low for at legend but uh in other parts of the ladder it's quite popular and the win rate is really good yeah i mean face hunter is always going to do well in an early patch meta i expect it to still do well throughout most rank brackets but it is a deck that's limited it is a deck that many of its matchups get worse at high levels, and it also many of its bad matchups get more popular and are become more powerful at higher levels. You look at Priest, you look at Libran Paladin is, is popping up. Um, like the Miracle Rogue matchup is a matchup that changes quite a bit uh, when you get to higher levels. So yeah, Face Hunter is good. It uh, like punishes some greed, but there are enough things that keep it in check and. Also, probably um, players at high levels just never excited to play face hunter. They've never been, and that those kind of hunter decks have always been uh, underplayed at uh, top legends and such. And I can understand it personally. I would never touch that deck. I don't think that deck is very interesting to play for me. But that's like my subje- subjective opinion. Though that seems to align with a lot of other people. Um. Hunter is a class that had really bad Year of the Phoenix sets, much like Shaman, where, you know, those classes didn't get much from that year in terms of strong build-arounds. Some complementary cards, yes, but not that cards that you want to build decks around. The difference between Hunter and Shaman is that Hunter got a great Baron set, a really good one, and that was enough to keep it viable and competitive through one deck. Shaman did not which is why Shaman is dead. And the buff didn't do much to help it not be dead. Because we, we wrote in, in the report, wrote in the report, what Shaman needs is its Shadow Walk, late game finisher, needs its Bloodlust, its early game finisher, and needs its Cram Session, its card draw engine. That's I what like it needs. how the example used for Shaman, Shaman card draw was a uh, was a non not a shaman card, card because they <laughs> because don't have a good think example. Of, be, yeah, because they don't have a good example, and that's what's sad. Like, imagine cram session was a dual class card. Things would be very very different right now. I'll, I'll I guarantee you, even with the current card pool, if shaman if cram session was a real thing, I think doomhammer aggro shaman would actually be good. But point is, um, they're always missing pieces. But you know, Baron set. Gave Hunter a deck. Gave them one deck. Didn't give them much more than one deck. You can't really expect them to get more than that. If Hunter wants to see new decks, needs new cards, reasonable. If it gets another good set, if it gets something good in the mini set to help like the Tavish deck, the more mid-rangey value decks, Dire Frenzy kind of related thing, I can definitely see that being viable. And new expansions can help Hunter find new decks as well. For now, it's got this one deck. That's playable. It's competitive. It's good. It's fine, but you know you're not going to see more than that until more new cards arrive. But Hunter can uh, find comfort in the fact that it's not Shaman. Uh, again, Shaman just needs a lot more. Uh, and you know, uh, people say, uh, "Oh, mini set can't do much." As I said, <laughs> like you can do a lot with just the, one card. The Dark Moon uh, Races mini set was completely insane and a broadest. Like, Rodas Crab Rider. I think we need another kind of uh, this kind of mini set with high power level or like very impactful cards that just are archetype defining. You look at like the best example of a deck that was just nowhere to be found before Dark Moon races and then became legitimate is Jibberling Druid. Arbor Up. Just Arbor Up completely changed that archetype and turned it into a deck. 
So I can see something similar happening in Shaman. I don't think Shaman is that far away. You you buffed Lilypad Lurker, so Elemental Shaman Shell is stronger. Uh, you also buffed Tidal sur uh, Surge. That's important. That's going to end up being more important than it feels right now. And all it needs, like if maybe you buffed Cthulhu, maybe Control Shaman could be a thing. But the point is, you don't need much. You can print a couple really strong cards that are worth building decks around for Shaman to be viable. Card draw in win conditions. Like, it's got shells. It's got reasonable shells of decks, but it doesn't have uh, things that they actually want to do in order to kill the opponent. Uh, and yeah, Shaman is stuck in tribal stuff. We talked about it last week, uh, the current problems of Shaman. But Paladin suffered from a similar problem before Librams were introduced. Where they had, like, they were, like, split off into all sorts of these identities and none of them were good enough. Paladin also had that problem. And then Librams came along. And then other good cards came along, like Hand of Adal and such. And now Paladin is, like, flavorful, well-designed, fleshed out, feels like Paladin, and yet powerful and can be fun something can similar can happen with shaman it all depends on what it's given um and we'll see what happens in the mini set i'm looking forward to it yeah it's just looking back at darkman races you mentioned the funny thing is you mentioned a card that revitalized an archetype that didn't exist i i thought you were going to say a different card because multiple cards did that i was thinking nitro boost yeah. poison which seemed like a good card card seems okay yeah yeah, uh, though Aggro Rogue was still kind of a thing before Nitro Boost, boost Poison. Like, Dribbling Druid was just nowhere. It was just like tier five, nothing. It was nothing Yeah. before Arbor Up came in. So that was a more dramatic change. Uh, it, it's more in line with what Shaman can, like, what can happen with Shaman. Um, just something that wins games. Arbor Up wins games. Arbor Up finishes off the opponent. Shaman doesn't have its bloodlust for the elemental shaman archetype. For the, uh, it's got the bloodlust for the Murloc archetype, but it doesn't have draw, reload, things like that. There's always something missing. Uh, if you fill those gaps, even some of those gaps, you don't have to fill all of those gaps because we're probably going to see three new shaman cards in the mini set. Those can still make a big impact. Uh, but, you know, you don't have to plug all the holes in one mini set. Next expansion can also make a difference. But I think that there's a good chance that we're going to see one viable Shaman deck after the mini set. There's a good chance, as long yeah. as they're given the right cards. And they had, like, remember that the last expansion had 10 dual class cards. We might not have that, which means, what, it's three cards per class plus five neutrals? That's a good bit of stuff. Yeah, it's it's quite a bit of stuff, and if the, again, if the mini set is as high power uh, as uh, Dark Moon races, even if it's not as high power, but if it has impactful build around cards rather than a lot of you know role players and fillers, then it can make a huge impact on the meta, and I think that's their intention, that's their goal with with mini sets is to shake things up. So you can expect some good cards. Personally, as a player. Uh, the current meta has not been exciting for me. Um, my subjective enjoyment of, of the meta comes down to 
whether I enjoy playing a deck or two in the current meta. Right now, kind of struggle with that. I need more excitement, uh, more things that are like, oh, I want to build around that. I want to play around that. Right now, the meta feels a little bit watered down. Makes sense, right? Because we're start like at the beginning of rotation. So mini set can really inject a lot of excitement and enthusiasm. I mean, we saw what happened. Just Nizoth. Just one mana yeah. discount on Nizoth. What it did to the meta and how it injected more excitement and experimentation. So mini set can definitely get more of a job done here. Yeah. 35 cards is a lot, especially in a meta as small as this one. But that's going to do it for this week. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate you uh, tuning in, especially big extra thanks to the Vicious Syndicate Gold and Patreon supporters. So many of you lately, we really appreciate you. Um, You can look forward to the next report, normal schedule, Thursday the 27th. Next podcast, Saturday the 29th. Big thanks, as always, to Steven Sensei for the intro and outro. We'll talk to you soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.